The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Beloved brothers and sisters, I am happy to be here today. And I'm excited and thankful that God would have me to stir our affections today for our Savior and for the truth that we find in His Word. Uh, and as such, it's important that you be taking your Bibles or phones or whatever it is that you have the Bible on to the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, Acts chapter 5. If you've got a cell phone, and I know you do, you can be taking it even to Acts chapter 5 as we prepare our hearts to see that God's Word is preached. It was just a few days prior to April 19th of 1775 that a group of 700 British soldiers were commanded to go from Boston, Massachusetts and to make the march to the city of Concord, the town of Concord, Massachusetts, where they knew that Americans were stashing firearms and ammunition. The American intelligence at that time somehow knew that the British were making this march to confiscate their firearms. And the people of Concord knew that they had a decision to make. They knew that if they let the British cross the bridge that went into their town, that it was going to mean submitting their children to slavery. Uh, they were well acquainted with the working of King George, the, George III and all that he had intended to do to, to make the American people operate both financially but more importantly religiously underneath his thumb. And they had a decision to make of what they were going to do. So then comes the date, April 19th, 1775, and they determined that the only way forward the only way that they could progress forward and not submit their children to slavery was going to be to stop the British from crossing that bridge. They knew to give up their firearms, to give up their ability to defend themselves was to submit themselves and more importantly their own family, their own children to slavery of this British king. And they were determined for this cause and it worked. If you know your history well, you'll know that that particular day in April of that year is seen as the mark of the beginning of the Revolutionary War. And for the first time ever in the history of the United States, a group of citizens got together and conquered the foe that was seeking to take away their freedom. Yes, in part because of financial reasons, but also particularly so that they could worship the Lord Jesus Christ in freedom. And they did indeed prevail, as we know. I'd like to preach to us today a more important prevailing, and that would be how the church prevails. We've seen in the book of Acts the birth of the church. We've seen the threats that the religious leaders of the day made. Uh, we have even seen, as we've seen through the examples of Ananias and Sapphira, the way that the devil had his attack on the church and trying to infuse sin into it. And the theme that we have seen throughout the book in its entirety thus far where we're at here in chapter 5 
is that the church is prevailing. The church, even despite these attacks, is growing, it's vibrant, it's biblical, it's blessed of God, and things are just going wonderfully, even despite these attacks. And the results were just awesome. People, the Bible says, men and women in multitudes, huge crowds of people that were coming to know the Lord Jesus of Jesus Christ and their sins were being forgiven of his grace and mercy. And in the same way that it was all those years ago in American history with King George III wanting to not let this people be a free people and a prosperous people, but wanting to keep his thumb over them, very much in the same way we know of the Roman government and particularly the Pharisees that also did not like this idea of this free people whose allegiance and kingdom was that of not this earth and they too wanted to keep their thumb over the top of that people, did not want them to be free in these ways. And we see as we look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 5, we see some things of how the church prevails through these things. If you remember your Bible, you know that the pieces previous to this, and actually, I'm, I'm sorry, if you look to verse 17 is where we'll be today, in verses 12 through 16 gives us that awesome depiction of even despite the attacks of the enemy, both within and without, that, that there was this great prosperous growth, this great spiritual renewing that Christ was bringing to his people. And it was awesome what was happening. And then we see in verse 17 where we read and it says, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Now, there are two main aspects here that I believe we ought to see from God's Word, one of which being the apostles' bold teaching, and the other of which being the ministry of angels. Both of these things pertain to the church prevailing, but both of these next points that we'll be making in and of themselves are not sufficient. The third one, which we'll be seeing at the conclusion of today's sermon, is the one that gives credence to the other ones being real. But you'll see what I mean as we go along. Uh, we know of the apostles' teaching that there was a progression of the persecution that was in opposition of it. Uh, we know of the jeering that happened at Pentecost. All the believers after Jesus rose to be with the Father. He was ascended on high. He told the believers to go together and stay together in one accord there in Jerusalem. They were doing that. Pentecost had fully come. The Holy Spirit's now inside of believers. They heard them speaking with tongues. The people outside heard them speaking with tongues. Some of them thought this was an amazing work of God. Others thought they were simply speaking gibberish and were drunk. And there was the jeering at Pentecost. And then as you fast forward, you see the church begin to operate you see Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. There was the lame man there that was healed. That caused a big ruckus where it gave Peter a great platform upon which to preach. And then Peter and John got arrested. We know that that, that happened. We know that they were arrested and threatened by the people that were over the work of the temple. We know of the devil's attack with Ananias and Sapphira. We know that the apostles are now just arrested. There, there's this increasing layer upon layer of persecution and even when it was illegal, not accepted, devil attacked, and hardships certain, 
the apostles, now together, still marched themselves straight into the temple to teach the people all the words of this life just as the angel had commanded them to do. And you might think to yourself, and I hope you think to yourself, why would the apostles do that? Why would they do that when this attacked yet blessed work has certain hardships in it and yet they're doing it anyway? Why did the disciples go from the people that scattered the moment that the, the crowd came at night to arrest Jesus? They completely scattered with it. Sounds like the exclusion of John who ended up there at the foot of the cross. How did they go from a scattered, denying Jesus kind of people to now they're marching themselves straight into this certain hardship? Why would the disciples administer given the absolute certain repercussions? I invite you to look to verse 21, the second part of that verse. 21, where we're here in part B of verse 21, as we see the answer why. But the high priest and those who came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to prison to have them brought. So they sent to prison to have the apostles brought before them. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. I think the outcome's kind of obvious. Them in comparison to God, they're just kind of stupid, but that's just my interpretation of it. You read your Bibles for yourself, church. Verse 25, So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to teach, to, to not teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with all your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So, when we ask the question, why is it that the apostles would minister knowing the certain repercussions that would come to them, it's because they were convinced of some things. They were convinced that Jesus was the one who would bring repentance. They knew that Jesus was the Savior. They were, they were convinced of these particular things that caused them to go into great action, even knowing that there were going to be some repercussions. They, they knew that Jesus was the only way out. They knew that a hundred out of a hundred people are going to die with the exclusion of those who, when Jesus comes back, all that happens there. But, but they knew that for, for people to have their sins washed, that Jesus is the only way to get there. Good moral efforts can't get there. Nothing else, no other God, no other little G God can get there. Only one. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross. They were convinced that He was the only way of salvation. They were convinced that there was no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. They were so convinced of this. 
In the same way that the people in Concord were convinced that the only way out, the only way to be able to give their children a future that was something other than slavery was to take a stand in a much more meaningful way, the apostles came to understanding there's only one way out of this. And it's to preach the gospel. It's to obey God first. It's to know that He's the one that brings repentance. He's the one that can forgive sins. Jesus is the one who can forgive sins. So what this tells me, church, and hear my heart on this, is that the key to all this is to be truly convinced of Jesus. To go from this scattered disciple when the going gets tough to now having this great boldness is to be fully convinced of the work that Jesus has done. I'm convinced that should the day come that I get hauled off to jail for preaching the gospel, that the thing that will make some of you men come on and put this little microphone over your ears and continue to preach the gospel will be that you are convinced. Because if you're not convinced that he is the only way to heaven, then it will just, you won't want to bear that responsibility. But for you to be convinced of Jesus' finished work on the cross, somebody say amen. If you, for you to be convinced and fully convinced of that, that he is the only way, and that people must see their sin, that they must repent and turn to trust the Savior. It will cause you to put this microphone on and continue preaching the gospel, even if there are repercussions coming your way. When this Bible is deemed as hate speech, the thing that will, the thing that will continue to cause us to gather around it, even if our fellowship is deemed as dangerous, the thing that will keep us going is if we truly believe what Jesus has done, the true act of standing in our place and taking our punishment that we deserve that might allow us to have this proper standing before an almighty God. If we believe that, if we believe that Jesus is the only way, that we must be convinced. So if you ask yourself the question, how does the church prevail? By believers, you ought to write this down, by believers being fully convinced of Jesus' work. Fully convinced of what he's done. And we could honestly just end the sermon right there. If I, I could just take the next 20 or 30 minutes and just, and just convince all of our hearts, do everything that I could possibly do to convince us all of what it is that God has done, what it is that Jesus himself has bore in his own body that you and I might be free. For us to have this full assurance that to live is Christ, to die is gain, that the moment that we breathe our last, that that's not it, that that's merely the beginning with Christ. That he's purchased for us our redemption and freedom that we might have perfect standing. I mean, what an awesome thing that he's done that we might convince. I mean, I told Eldon the other day, if we did nothing else for the next six months, uh, next six months other than preach the gospel like our hair's on fire, that would probably do us really, really well to be fully convinced of this work that Jesus has completed. The apostles were convinced of it, and it made them devoted to the purposes such that the church prevailed, as we will see as we go on. Now that was the piece of the apostles' bold teaching that we see. Look to verse 19, which we've already read, as we see this ministry of angels things that has to do with the prevailing of the church. Verse 19, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So what we see there from that text is that this is an angel of the Lord. This is not an angel of willy-nilly. This is the Lord's angel, a servant of the Lord. And the Lord commanded this angel to go and let these apostles out. 
Boy, I wonder what that conversation was like when God said, my apostles, they are in prison. I'm instructing you to go down there and that prison is guarded. The door is locked. I want you to go open it so that they can go out and preach this gospel, the good news of what it is that my son has done to save people. And we know that this angel did it. He goes down, he opens this guarded and locked door. And that tells us something of angels' ability when they are commissioned by God to accomplish some of these things that that works of evil and physical matter don't matter. They can, just, they can just go right through it. It doesn't matter that it was guarded. It didn't matter that the door was locked and shut. He was able to go down there and swing it open like it was a door that was unlocked. That was what that angel was able to do. So how is it that the church prevails? By angels, this is our next point this morning, by angels ministering to believers at the Lord's direction. Pastor Ben, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that angels can be equipped to to go do things on behalf of God's people, on behalf of the church, to to see that it prevails? Dear brother and sister this morning, I don't just believe it, I know it. I know it. Matthew 4, verse 11, which gives us the account after Jesus had been tempted by the devil, it says, then after the devil left him, behold, angels came and ministered to him. And we know this not to just be something that angels do for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We know in Hebrews 1.14, after it's discussing, talking about the difference between the Son of God and angels, it says, are they, referencing angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They're ministering spirits, the Bible says, sent forth to minister on behalf of those who will inherit salvation. And we've seen some examples of this. If you think back in Luke chapter 1, as the angel Gabriel comes and ministers to Mary to give her this announcement of the baby, the Christ, the Son of God himself that will be born of her womb, we know the angel also ministering to Zacharias in the same way of announcing the birth of John the Baptist, and we also have this example, and I know there are more, but this example here of these, those who will inherit salvation being ministered to by these ministering spirits sent forth for that purpose. So how is it that the church prevails? By angels ministering on behalf of believers at the Lord's direction. And what that tells me, and this may sound crazy to some of you, but that's all right. I'm cool with you thinking I'm crazy. Uh, That's what tells me is that when the Nazis in Canada that have their sights set on the church, they just may find themselves battling against the ministry of angels. Unexplained things that they don't know why the door flung open unexplained things the same way it was for all those religious leaders that they don't know why those guys they just locked up are now in the temple preaching they may just find themselves battling against the ministry of angels it tells me that the nazi wannabes in america that also have their sights set on believers and the sights set on the church they too might find themselves battling against the ministry of angels and i wouldn't want to be them somebody say amen now if you would look to verse 33 as we continue on as we continue to see these things and how the church prevails and know that the first two points that we've had that the one that we are coming up on is the one that enables the other two verse 33 when they heard this when when the pharisees sadducees when they heard peter led leading the apostles saying we're going to obey god rather than man repentance is found in christ forgiveness of sins is found when they heard when those religious leaders heard all those things they were furious the bible says 
and plotted to kill them. Verse 34. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people. And he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Now, a word just very quickly about why we've been talking so much about persecution, namely because the book of Acts is that we're going through, it lends itself to those topics and talking about them, so we'll follow the word of God in that. But the thing that I think is very vital for us to see in the day and age that we're living right now in the year 2021 is as we've noticed the levels of escalation of persecution as it escalated for the apostles. There was the jeering at Pentecost, which we mentioned the very day the church was birthed. You had the imprisonment and the threatening of Peter and John after they were used of God in the healing of the lame man. Then you see the imprisonment simply on the basis that things are going really well for the church, even though the persecution has come from the outside and the devil even persecuting the church. They're seeing this amazing thing happening for the church. And then it went straight to a plot to kill them. Now, not trying to scare anybody, but I think it's important that we all know and see clearly as believers gathered together this morning is that for years now we have experienced the jeering. We, we have experienced the same kind of thing of them thinking that we're just drunk fools for coming together. They just think we're morons for gathering together and doing what we do as believers together. We've experienced that for a long time. We have seen in the past couple years this imprisonment and threatening. We've even seen that even prior to 2020 and all that happened there. These very quick in the same way it was for Peter and John being imprisoned overnight for preaching in public, for singing in public, being imprisoned overnight very quickly and then let go with a threat. We've seen that for a while. We've seen an increase of it as of late. And I think it's important that we will probably very likely see and that we all know today it's important that we know that there will probably become this time when there's just imprisonment just because. When there are churches that are growing and baptizing people like we'll be doing shortly and all these different things and, and it will go straight from there to a plot to kill. Now, if, if you are here and you have intellectually learned the right answers to say when people ask you if you know Jesus, then, then that is really bad news for you because you're going to come to this place where you're going to have to decide if you're convinced that the British are going to come across the bridge and you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with your kids. You're going to have to come to the same point that the apostles came to in a much more meaningful spiritual way when they said Jesus is the only way. I'm not backing out of this for anything because he's the only way we're getting out of here alive is to be washed, our sins washed by his grace and forgiveness. You're going to have to come to grips and and. I believe that in our lifetime, you'll be forced to go one way or the other with that. 
Uh, If you know Jesus is your Savior, if you have turned from sin and you have repented and trusted fully in his grace to clothe you, that fully by his goodness and grace that you can have proper standing before God, then even the place in which we find ourselves, we have nothing to worry about. Not at all. Somebody say amen. We have nothing to worry about if we are persuaded, the Bible says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I don't really care where we're at on those scales of escalation of persecution. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. It used to, but it doesn't bother me anymore where we're at and all that because to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I really hope that you are convinced of those things. But when we look at the Word of God, we see this Gamaliel character that is respected by the people, a teacher, And he's communicating to the group. After they kick the apostles outside so he could just talk to the people for a minute, he says, listen, we've seen cults come up and go away. Cults come to nothing. Cults fizzle out into nothing and sometimes perhaps quickly. But he says, but if this is is also a cult, if these apostles going around preaching and teaching in Jesus' name, if it's a cult, it'll fizzle out. So don't worry about it. It's not worth our time. If it's not a cult, however... Leave these men alone because you'll be found even to fight against God and trying to persecute them. How interesting that even in that world of Pharisees that there was one who had this wisdom to know that if the church was going to prevail, this is our third point this morning, that it was going to prevail by God sustaining his church. Jesus says in Matthew 16 verse 18, I will build my church in the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He would build the church. He would build His church. Through God, this is a supernatural thing of God sustaining His church, and we have seen the manifestation of that through Him commanding angels on behalf of His people, and also through this means of people becoming truly convinced of the work that He's done. We see this overarching point that by God sustaining His church that they would indeed prevail. And continue on. Uh, maybe you've heard it's, it. It kind of made me made me furious for like three seconds, and then it made me just kind of laugh out loud. But uh, man, our world is crazy, and there's all this this talk from what I would like to think people that are just ignorant about Christmas and the meaning of it. But I I, I think that there's probably more sinister in the human heart, and that the human heart is desperately wicked above all things, and very much that there reigns in the human heart today the same spirit that Herod had at the very first Christmas and trying to level and kill all the baby boys so that he could snuff this Savior that was talked about among the Jewish people. Uh, but there, there are these rumors that you see in little snippet, snippets of news articles about people saying, and they're of the liberal vein, the usually governors saying things along the lines of, well, because of the tr- there's not enough truckers to move supplies and based on what COVID does, we may not be able to celebrate Christmas this year. And and again, my my hope is that they're just innocently ignorant in which we can joyfully have the opportunity to share with them, I guess kind of like the Grinch did in a spiritual way, what the meaning of Christmas is. But but I just want to tell you, um, Christmas is not dependent upon truckers. 
Christmas is dependent upon a God who sees a humanity that has sinned against Him to send His one and only Son that He might be the Savior to those people. That is a working of God. You can't touch that. And y'all, just so you know, I don't care how bare the shelves are. We're celebrating Christmas this year. You can't touch Christmas. You can't touch the fact that God looked down and saw us as a sinful, wicked people and sent His Son to die. I'm celebrating that every day and I'm already jazzed up for Christmas I know it's not even past Thanksgiving yet but whatever we might have Christmas stuff hanging around here next week but but this sustaining this this work of God and him sustaining his church you can't touch that you can't mess with that that is untouchable by COVID that is untouchable. Again, I certainly hope that it's out of ignorance that people say that stupid kind of thing, but if it is a wicked intention that in the same spirit of Herod they would try to snuff the celebrating of Jesus Christ coming into the world to be the sacrificial Lamb of God, if there's that same wicked intent, we're celebrating Christmas. And it's going to be awesome. And it is irrespective of whether there's Christmas cookies on the shelf. We're going to gather, we're going to sing, we're going to celebrate that the Savior has come. So how does the church prevail? By believers being fully convinced of Jesus' work. By angels ministering to believers at the Lord's direction. And overarchingly, I'm not even sure if that's a word, but it is today. By God sustaining His church. By God bringing it about that these men and women would become fully convinced of his work. By God and himself having the authority to say to the angel, go and open the locked prison cell. And the church prevails. And we, we see an example of the church prevailing in verse 40, which I'm excited to share with you right now. And they agreed with him. The rest of the Pharisees agreed with Gamaliel that they ought to just let these guys alone. Because if it's a cult, it'll come to nothing. If it's not a cult, then we better not fight with God. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Someone say the word rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. These disciples were convinced the only way out of this alive, the only way for us not to submit ourselves to the slavery of sin, the only way for us not to submit our children to being enslaved to sin is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They had seen Him, His purposes and His reasoning as the thing, the hill that they were willing to die on. And they go away with perhaps their backs even bleeding from having been beaten. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And the result of all of this, of these convinced men and women, and God doing what only God can do in sustaining the church and causing these things to happen, like angels opening locked cell doors, it culminates with verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. The church prevailed through these things. Now, this is a great story. I hope you've seen the Word of God in clarity today. And you see how all these things work and fit together. 
The thing that I would like to leave you with, however, before we very, in just a couple moments, we'll be going into the baptism. But the thing I'd like to leave you with is that based on the actions of the apostles, there were some statements that are statements that I have crafted that we know based on their actions were true. And I want you to see if these statements are true for you also. Here is a statement we know that was true for the apostles. I will share the gospel even if it means I'm hated and excluded. That statement was true for the apostles. Another statement that was true for the apostles. I will have biblical fellowship with other believers even if it is deemed as dangerous, which indeed it was. That statement was true for the apostles. I will disobey the laws of man if necessary in order to obey God. That was true for the apostles. Last statement that I'll share with you that we know based on the actions of the apostles that was true for them. That we can see as God's word being a mirror for us so we can see where we stand. If my body suffers or dies in the line of Christian living, it would be an honor to suffer or die that way. That statement was true for the apostles. Are those statements true for you also? Can you say those things? Have you become convinced of the finished work of the cross to the point that you can say, those statements are true for me also? I pray that the Lord leads his church. And what I just feel like saying is that I feel like the devil, he has had a heyday in the church for far too long. It is time for us to find our joy, our, our fullness of joy at the right hand of the Father and to be fully convinced of the finished work of the cross, of what he's done, and to know that he is the only way out. He is the only way for our sins to be forgiven. So at this time, we're going to move into a baptism at this time, if you want to come around. And uh, if, I, if I have the pleasure of growing to be an old man, I can't wait to be one of those grouchy old guys sitting on the porch schooling all the young people. And, uh, and, and you know, it'll be very interesting, the conversations that happen decades from now, in reference to the things that happened, that began to happen within these past couple of years, the year 2020 and the year 2021. And I think we know what even the world's response would be is that those, that was the time frame in which everyone lost their minds. <laughs> it was the time frame in which no one knew what to think, no one knew what to believe. Come on in, Samuel. But I'm very excited that if the Lord allows me to grow to be an old man, that the testimony I can have, that I'll be able to share with people, is that was the time that we saw the Lord begin to build up an army unto himself at New Covenant Community Church. And this is one of these soldiers right here. We're going to baptize Samuel today. Uh, he has been a believer for years now. And his getting baptized today is simply getting his baptism on the proper side of his salvation. And uh, he's got a, an adorable little girl that you see running around the church. He's getting ready to have another baby as well. One of the many ladies that are getting ready to have babies in the church. And I'll tell you what, man, the teenage boys have no chance when I think of the guys in here that have young daughters, man, that they are not going to. If, if young boys want to date these daughters around this church, they're going to have to be some Christian guys. And uh, and I'm thankful for you, Samuel. I'm thankful that 
we can march together. This is a this is a race, this is a battle, this is a spiritual battle, and we're soldiers together in it. And uh, if I was looking for someone to link arms with, if I'm finding weak times, I'd be looking for your arm man. So let's be strong together as we love our families, raise up our children to know Jesus, and be soldiers in this fight. Amen? Amen. Samuel, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Have you trusted him completely to take all of your sin and to be washed completely so that you might, because of Jesus, stand clean before God? Absolutely. Amen. Then I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we come to the music, as we prepare to sing, would you stand with me as I pray? Father, thank you for the sweet blessing that we have had as a church to watch you, the author and perfecter of our faith, raise up soldiers. Jesus, I believe with all my heart that what you said all those years ago, that if the people would stop rejoicing you, that even the rocks could cry out. Father, we have watched you begin to build an army we have watched you raise up young men and women to teach these young little ones in this church to know you to know your word and to love it father i thank you for samuel i thank for you thank you for melody his wife father bless them greatly as their family is growing father make us strong together in truth the social club of church is over and we're here to work we're here to fulfill your purposes. We're here to say yes and amen to all it is that you would call us to do. We are here, Lord, convinced of your work. Knowing that by your sovereignty and power, even you, the one we love and serve, can command angels to work on our behalf. And we know that this work of you sustaining your church, even in the time period whenever the, ever the whole world lost its mind, We've watched you bring peace. We've watched you bring salvation to those who need it. We've watched you save the lost among this fellowship, Lord. Oh, what a God that we serve. That, Father, you wouldn't let us just meander on in a happy, blind kind of way, but that you have reached into this church and saved the lost. Father, it's awesome what you've done. We say yes and amen to all that you have for us. Thank you for dying on the cross to bear our sin. Father, we pray that you would continue the work even now in this very moment. For those who don't know you as Savior and Lord, that you would reach into their heart to draw them, to convict them of sin, that they might know that their sin is great before you and that they need, that they desperately need the Savior to wash them. And that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that, that when they repent and confess you as Lord, that their names would be written in the Lamb's book of life and that heaven would be their home. We pray in Jesus' awesome name, and all the church says, should that be you, 
don't leave this place until you've talked to me first. I love you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I love you enough to continue to preach this gospel and to see that he is championed. Amen. Let's worship together.